Hosting for the BGDL Plus podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the BGDL Plus podcast, a show designed to help you take your creativity, productivity, and designing to the next level. And now here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends, and welcome to BGDL Plus. Today, well, I got a few topics I want to talk about. Today, the first one, though, is about when gatekeepers say no. What what do you do? What, how do you handle a situation when you know you pitch your game or you kind of put it out there with a sell sheet or you contact a publisher, you, you sit down and talk to them at a, a convention or something like that, and they get back to you and they say no. No, this game's not for us, or yeah, this is not the the thing kind of thing we're looking for right now, or we don't think this could sell, we don't think it's a good product. What do you do? How do you handle that situation? And well, I want to start off by talking uh, about or telling a story about two construction workers. There were two guys on a construction site one day, and they were uh, they just kind of walked away from the site for a while, and they were going to have lunch for a little bit. They pulled out their lunch bags, and one guy he just starts just complaining. He's so frustrated. He's like, bologna sandwiches again. I got another bologna sandwich. I am so tired of bologna sandwiches. Day after day after day. It's always bologna sandwiches. And the guy next to him, he says, hey man, it's, it's okay. Chill. Relax. Tell you what, just go home tonight. Talk to your wife, and maybe she'll pack you something different for tomorrow. Another guy said, hey man, you leave my wife out of this. I make my own lunches. Because <laughs> the thing is, most of the bologna you have in your life, you packed it. Now, What am I talking about? What's the bigger concept? Well, it's this idea that your environment does not determine your attitude, that you determine your attitude. You determine how much baloney is in your life most of the time. Now, we all have bad things that happen to us and, you know, tragic things happen that are out of our control. But for the most part, we control our attitude. We control how we respond to things. And one thing I've learned about life is that life really boils down to a very simple formula. And that formula is E plus R equals O. And that stands for event plus response equals outcome. That events happen all the time, right? Good, bad, ugly, otherwise, all those things, you know, they they happen to us. Whether it's something tragic or something amazing, these events happen that a lot of times we can't control. But we can control our response. We can control how we handle things, how, how we deal with certain things, good and bad, right? And the cool thing is, it doesn't really matter what the event is. Our response is ultimately going to be uh, what determines the outcome. Now, when something terrible happens, you can respond in a positive way, and the outcome can turn out positive. Or when something amazing happens, you can, turn, you know, you can respond in a negative way, and the outcome can, come, can turn out negative. So it really just boils down to, how we respond to things. If we're being honest, success has ruined more people than failure probably has, right? And so how do you respond to it? What do you do when the gatekeeper, the publisher, or whoever says no? How do you handle that rejection? How do you handle that information? What do you do? One thing I've learned is that the more you complain, the less you obtain. You know, a lot of times when I've pitched a game to a publisher, whether it's through email or in person, uh, they've told me no. <laughs> I've been told over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again no. Uh, actually, yesterday, uh, I had two publishers, two different publishers, tell me no for two different games, right? I have emails come in and they go, no, this is not for us. I'm like, great. And then I got another email, oh, that's not for us. Oh, oh, okay, cool. And and so it's real easy to get frustrated and discouraged and down and, and upset and annoyed. And, you know, you want to kind of explain or you want to argue a lot of times, but you know, the more you complain, the less you obtain. Because what I've found is most of the time, publishers will give you some ideas, they'll give you some advice, they'll help you in some way. They'll say, well, here's why this is not the game we're looking for, right? Maybe, okay, it doesn't go up to five players. We really need it to, to play with five, you know, 
two to three players not going to work for us. Maybe it's that kind of thing. Or maybe you just need to figure out a way to adjust some things, to scale some things and make it a little bit different. Or maybe it's just got too many components. Maybe they're saying, hey, we don't think we could sell this at the right price point. And so, you know, if you find a way to get rid of all these dice, to get rid of these all these extra cards, something like that, they might give you some ideas on how to make it a better product. Or they might just say, you know, we, we play tested it, we tried it, and these mechanisms, they don't seem to work right. This, this part over here seems a little bit broken. This is overpowered over here. You know, whatever. But they're probably going to give you some ideas on ways to make the thing better. But if you're so busy complaining and being frustrated and annoyed, you might miss the really good like nuggets of information, the kind of golden, uh, uh, what trying to say, the silver lining, so to speak, of what they're trying to tell you, and you might miss an opportunity to make your game better. And maybe it's not right for that publisher. I mean, that that's a lot of times the case. You might have a really good game that's just not a good fit, whether it's the theme or the mechanisms, or you know, maybe a company's really trying to do card games right now, and you come to them with a big board game, and they're like, yeah, that's not for us right now. You know, that happens a lot. Where it's just not a good fit. And so don't get discouraged. Don't get you know really frustrated. I'm, I'm actually talking to myself right now. Is don't get discouraged. Don't you know, just kind of take the note in stride and and respond in a way to set yourself up for success later. Because who knows, you might have a game here soon, or you know, a year from now, two years from now, ten years from now, who knows, that you come back to this publisher and say, hey, I got this other game. And if you've had a really good interaction with them in the past, you know, maybe they told you no, but you handled it well. You weren't, you know, super argumentative. You weren't, you know, causing a scene, so to speak. And you, you you've kind of set yourself up to to be a person they want to work with. That, that, that's what you want to do, because you might have something down the road that is a good fit, that they do want to publish. And they think, hey, this guy, he, he took, or this person, this, they took uh, feedback really well. When I told them, you know, what was wrong in the past, you know, they, they, they said thank you, they, they appreciated the feedback, they tried to make the game better. Okay, this seems like a person I can work with. Because it's not only your game that you're pitching, you're also pitching yourself, right? You're, you're, you're doing an interview for your game and you as a designer. Do, does that company want to work with you? Because there's a lot of games that could be published right now. Like this, there's no shortage of games. So it's not like uh, they have to have your game and there's no other games out there. There's lots of people pitching them games all the time. And so you want to set yourself up as a person that is good to work with, that you seem uh, enjoyable to, to be around and that, that people want to be around you. So no matter what happens, take it in stride. Respond in a positive way. Do everything you can to respond to things in a positive way and realize that, that failure a lot of times is a good thing. Uh, that this is the concept of, of rock bottom has built more heroes than privilege ever has. That we often go through hard times to be set up to go through great times down the road. So don't, don't get caught up in, in, in staying in that bottom place, right, where you're just kind of down and out. No, find a way to learn and grow and get better. I mean, honestly, if you're not failing... You're probably not trying enough new things. You're probably not pushing yourself into to greater and, and bigger and better things. Failure is kind of a, a marker. It's a mile marker on the way to success. And so if you're not running into failure, you might not be traveling down the right road, right? Or maybe you're traveling down a road that's just a little bit too complacent, a little bit too easy, too comfortable, and you're not really pushing yourself to your full potential. And so embrace failure, right? It's, it's only failure, true failure, if you quit. Right? As long as you get back up, it's not failure, really. It's just a learning experience. It's just an opportunity to grow. And so take on failure, take it in stride, and respond to it in a positive way. It reminds you of a quote I'm pretty sure I've said on the, the main show in the past of, ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, fail better. So if you're failing, you know, if you just had a pretty pretty big failure, like like these two no's I just got, it's like, well, that's that that's failed. Like everything I put in with the pitches and kind of that kind of stuff, it's like, well, that, that didn't work out. 
okay, well, let me, let me dust myself off and let me see if I can go fail again. See if I can go fail a little bit better next time and, and maybe take another step towards getting a game signed, getting a game published. But it really boils down to my response, to our responses to these uh, difficult, annoying, frustrating moments. And also, don't don't get so caught up trying to make your game perfect that you make it try to make it fail-proof, right? I've talked to several designers that say, you know, they, they're not ready to pitch yet because the game's not perfect. Well, here, here's the deal. A great designer is far more concerned about getting better than about being perfect, right? Perfection doesn't exist, right? It's, it's a faraway concept that's not, it does not exist in the real world, right? And so it, not even close. And so p- pitching your game or waiting to pitch your game until it's perfect it means you're going to wait uh, forever, forever and a day, right? It's just not going to happen. And so put yourself out there. I know it can be hard. I know a lot of people that are creative really struggle with self-confidence and self-esteem and things like that. We, you know, we struggle with the whole imposter syndrome concept and it's, it's a very real thing and you just have to push yourself or maybe find some people in your life that can kind of help push you along. I've got some people in my life that'll, that'll hold me accountable, you know, and say, well, hey, hey, why haven't you, why haven't you done this? And I go, well, I just don't know. No, 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 you need to do this. And they'll, they'll kind of hold me accountable to the things that I'm trying to accomplish. Everybody needs those people in their lives that can kind of help you do the things that, even if you're a little anxious, you know, they can give you a hand. They can kind of push you down the road that you know you want to be traveling down. And so maybe if you don't have that, maybe you try to find somebody, right? Maybe your spouse. I know my spouse does a great job kind of uh, encouraging me and helping me along and uh, playtesting my games and beating me. 99% of the time in those games. And so I've, I've found a really great uh, partner in her. You know, maybe you've got a great spouse that can do the same, or maybe you just, you know, a friend or train your dog, or I don't know, something, somebody. And maybe it's even online, you know, through Tabletop Simulator or through the BGDL Discord server. You maybe find somebody on there that just kind of helped you along, be encouraging, and, and hold you accountable to the things that you're trying to accomplish. But big picture is, what's your response going to be? When a gatekeeper says no, how are you going to respond? Now, some people have just decided, okay, I'm just going to kickstart my own game. They're like, I forget the gatekeepers. I'll become my own gatekeeper, and I'll do my own thing. I'll, I'll start my own little business, and I'll you know, <laughs> register an LLC and go to Kickstarter and do that. And that's a very viable option. Just be aware of what you're getting into because you're, you're moving beyond game design and into running a business, running a company. And so is that really what you want to do? Do you want to spend most of your time worrying about logistics and shipping and, and paying artists and all the things that go along with business and taxes and all that kind of stuff? If that's something you want to do and you want to just become your own gatekeeper, hey, I am all for it. And BGDL, we have a lot of resources to try to help you, you know, travel down that road. But if that doesn't seem like what you want, it's not what I want personally. I'm just looking at that and going, nah, I'm, I'm good right now. I'll, I'll keep pitching then you just got to keep, you got to get back on the horse, so to speak, uh, back on the pitch horse, pitch car. We'll go back on the pitch car to make it board game related. And you just, you just keep going. You find a way to respond in that way. So if you're dealing with some failure right now, if you're dealing with, you know, people telling you no, saying your, your game's not good enough, all that kind of thing, hey, just keep fighting, keep going, keep figuring out how to make it better, find, keep finding new people to play test with to give you new perspectives, keep pitching it. You know, if it's at that point, now don't pitch it before it's ready. You know, if, if you're still changing a lot of stuff, it's not pitch ready. You know, get it to, it doesn't, obviously not going to be perfect, but get to a place where it's pitchable. And then listen, you know, take on, take take people's advice and, and kind of chew the meat and spit out the bones, so to speak, that when people tell you something, you know, weigh it and say, hey, you know, this this is something I need to change or no, it's not really the game I'm trying to make. Because ultimately this is your game. You know, a lot of times play testers, they, they want to change things to make the game that they want. Well, it's, it's not their game, right? It's your game as the designer. And so you are in charge of directing it and you know guiding it down the path to become the thing that you want it to be. And so be careful of that. A lot of times we'll take advice that maybe we probably shouldn't have. We, we're listening to people and thinking, oh, okay, this is going to make it better. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. 
Uh, a lot of times playtesters aren't necessarily game designers, and so maybe they don't have any idea what they're really saying. And so you have to find a way to kind of you know, parse through what they're saying to get down to the heart of what they mean. And that's an art form in and of itself. You just gain through experience and time. And uh, just be aware of that as well. But take criticism in stride. Find a way to you know, kind of harden your skin, so to speak, and, uh, and, and learn from it. I remember when I was in college, I had an incredible English professor. Uh, I majored in uh, English and creative writing focus, and I had a professor named Dale Ray Phillips. Oh, Professor Phillips, and he was an incredible writer in and of himself. I've read a couple of his books that were very good, in my opinion. And his, his um, policy on taking feedback, so the way it would work is you would show up to class on the day you had to turn your story in, and you would have uh, copies for everybody, and you'd give everybody in the class one of your stories. So if you had you know 15 people in the class, you'd have you know, 15 stories, you give one to every classmate and then to the professor. And then the homework for everybody in the class would be to go home that night or, you know, in between how many days were in between classes. And you had to uh, correct anything that needed to be corrected. You know, you take out your red pen and just kind of write notes and ideas and cross stuff out and say, hey, you misspelled this word. And, oh, this didn't work very well. And I don't understand that. And you kind of critique things. And then when you came to class the next class period, you would have a feedback session. And let's say, you know, my story was the one being critiqued. I would have to sit there in my seat as everybody in class critiqued my story. And I was not allowed to talk. I was not allowed to defend anything. I was not allowed to say anything. I wasn't allowed to uh, get angry and storm out of the room. You know, I had to just sit there and listen as people told me what they thought, what they, you know, were trying to understand, what they what didn't make sense, all these different things. And it's some positive stuff, too, but not all negative. And I wasn't allowed to talk until the very, very end. And I could, I had five minutes where I could kind of explain some things or say, oh, okay, this is what I was trying. I'm, it didn't work, that kind of thing. And I had to develop a pretty hard skin, right? Pretty tough skin to, to kind of take all this, this feedback, all these critiques from people, you know, and this, these are 25, 30 page short stories. I put a lot of time and effort and energy into that. I, you know, these things that I love, these ideas, these characters, and people just ripped them apart, right? And not only did they rip them apart, they had to rip them apart for a grade, right? So they were more incentivized to rip those things apart. And uh, it was a very interesting situation. But, you know, looking back, that really helped me now, you know, it helped, helped me kind of become a, a game, the game designer that I am right now and being able to take feedback and listen and not argue and go, okay, okay, I understand. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your feedback. And it might be something completely ridiculous when somebody tells me. But I'm, I'm still going to say, thank you. I really appreciate what you have to say. Uh, I'm going to kind of take that and, and think about it, right? And so, you know, when somebody says no, don't argue. Don't get upset. Don't get frustrated. Just say thank you, you know, and, and just move on. And if it's something ridiculous and maybe somebody said it the wrong way, maybe they said it in a way that wasn't very kind or, or gener- you know, polite or anything like that, uh, just thanks. I, I appreciate your time. Thanks for playing my game. You know, have a good day. That That's okay. And just kind of move on from there. So anyway... Find a way to stay positive. Find a way to respond positively, no matter what the event is, whether we're talking about life or we're talking about board game design or whatever. You know, when the gatekeeper says no, keep fighting. Keep looking for the, the right person because, yeah, I really and truly believe if you've got a game, you know, that's worth publishing, it will get published, right? Somebody will, will see it and, and they'll say, yep, this is the one for us, and they'll hand you a contract and you can sign on the dotted line. You just got to keep fighting, keep plugging away, keep going. Now, second thing I want to talk to you about today is must-have components. This idea that, you know, your game needs something in it that when somebody walks by, they see it on the table, they go, ooh, what is that? They want to know more just based on that one little little doodad, that little thing, that little uh, component you've got there. And this is a concept that Jamie Stegmar talks about a lot. And having something in your game that makes people go, wow, 
this is cool, right? And it's almost kind of gets back into the whole like toy like thing, you know. We're all children at heart, so to speak. We all have things that uh, we carry with us throughout life that we picked up in our early years, and so maybe it's something that just seems kind of toy like, or maybe it's something that's got a cool nostalgia thing going on. But anyway, you want something that kind of draws people in to go, oh, this this is cool. Right, because there's a lot of games out there that I feel like, man, I probably could have just made this at home by myself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I want to take the time and the effort to do it, but I, I feel like I probably could have. But when you have those really cool must-have components, people can't say that. You know, if it's this really cool thing that that you know you had created, custom-made or special-made, or you know, it's just something maybe somebody didn't even think about. It's just a really cool thing to add to your game. I'm reminded of Dinosaur Island that has the the really cool snap bracelet. From, you know circa the 90s, right, and you had the, that's the start player markers, this really cool snap bracelet with the dinosaur theme on it. That's just a really cool must-have component that I have a friend, actually, who, when she saw that that was part of the game, she she backed it on Kickstarter right then. Like, she was like, I don't know a whole lot about the game, that that's really, really cool, and I feel like they're putting a lot of, you know, love into this game, and I feel like the game's going to be great because I can tell just by the components they're putting into I'm going to back this game. It's like, wow, okay, cool. You know, and so that's another thing that people see it and they go, wow, I want to see that. I want to learn about, I want to learn more. It just draws people in. And so there's a couple of different ways you can approach this. You know, maybe, maybe you start off with this idea of a really cool must-have component. Even before you have a game, you have this idea of a thing that you can kind of build the game around. That's a, you know, possibility, right? That you, maybe you got this really cool 3D printed thing that that just kind of fits it sits on the game table maybe it's a start player marker or maybe it's a really cool way that uh, the cards are dispensed out of it or a really cool dice tower or something like that that kind of gets your juices flowing so to speak gets the creativity flowing in you and it makes you design a game around it that's a really cool idea you know there's certain games that have really cool cube towers you know that that you i think shogun is the game i'm thinking about it's like wow that 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 piece that component is a really cool place to start and then build a game around, you know, using this thing as the combat mechanism, right? Just a really cool way to, to go about it. Or maybe you're towards the tail end of a game design and you're thinking, okay, how can I add something to this game to make it just cooler, to make it, you know, pop off the table, so to speak? That's where I'm at with the, the football game I've been working on forever. It's it's done. Like, I don't, it's, it's done. It is 100% good to go. Is it perfect? No, never, you know, nothing's perfect, but it is good to go. Like, put it on a shelf right now kind of thing. Uh, just need some better art. And I was thinking the other day, I was like, well, how can I add some kind of must-have component to this? And so I just kind of started pondering, started wondering and thinking about, okay, well, it's football, and so what are some things I could add to it that maybe wouldn't be too, you know, cost-prohibitive, prohibitive, prohibitive, there it is. It wouldn't be too costly. There's the word I'm looking for. And I could just add it to the game, and it wouldn't, you know, make it hard to manufacture or anything like that. And so I started thinking, well, let's think about sports. Let's think about football in particular. What are the things that are normal in that? And I thought, foam fingers. I mean, let me see if I can find a really cool foam finger to add to the game to be the start player marker. That just makes sense. It's holding up a number one. You're the first player. That makes sense. And I found this company that makes these like eight inch tall foam fingers that you can put like on the top of a, a bottle of water or you can just kind of put it on, on two fingers, that kind of thing. And it's just this number one foam finger. I was like, well, that's, that's really cool. And they can do custom printing. You know, I could put like a logo, that kind of thing on it. It's like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Right. And it looks really cool on the table and you, players can put it on their fingers and like point at each other and they can, you know, you can have fun with it. it kind of creates a little toy type thing at, at the table to, to use. Right. So not only is it, is it useful, but it's also kind of fun as a component in and of itself. And I thought, well, you know, I've been representing winning championships in the game as cards, but what if it was more than cards? What if I did something else? And so I found uh, some 3D printed template kind of things on Thingiverse, which Kirk Dennison uh, talked about in the uh, the main podcast a, while, a few weeks ago, a while back. 
And I found some really cool little rings, and I was like, okay, whenever you win a championship, you don't get a card, you get a you get a ring, and you can actually put it on, you can kind of wear it, and you can kind of, you know, if you win the championship, you can kind of mess with people and be like, oh, oh, have you seen my ring? You know, you can have some fun with it, it's it's a lot more fun than just having a card sitting in front of you, you can actually have a ring, and I found these pretty inexpensive metal football championship, you know, very generic uh, rings that I found online at this place, and I ordered a few of those, and they look really good, and they, they sit on the table, and they make, you know, a good noise when it kind of clinks around, and, you know, put them on your finger, and it's this big, fat, you know, obnoxious, gaudy metal ring with a big football on it that says champion. It's just a really cool thing, and I feel like uh, people have had a really good response to it. It's been great in the playtesting I've done here in the last couple of weeks, and it's just been a lot of fun. It's this cool little must-have component. So I don't know what your game is. I don't know what your theme is, but I want to encourage you to go out and see if you can find something, something that's cheap, something you can kind of add to the game. It's not crazy expensive, right? It just kind of makes it hard to manufacture, but add it to your game because it's going to draw people in. It makes it more fun. You know, maybe you go the dinosaur Island route where your art's kind of nineties theme. So you go and, and look for something from the nineties, right? You kind of go that nostalgia route or you go the toy route. And there's a lot of Simon uh, games coming out right now where the, the figures or like the little cars or things, they're, they're little toys and they look amazing. And they're these must have components that you could, you know, I could just give the game to my kids and they never even play the game. They could just play with the cars, right? They could just play with the little figures and that would be fun in and of itself. So I don't know if you want to travel down that route or at least look into it, but I have to say, Adding must-have components to your game can be a really cool way to just make it better, to make it to make it even more worth whatever the cost is. That's another thing, you know, a lot of times people don't want to pay much for games, and so you add these extra really cool components, they'll pay a little bit more for them. It's just kind of a psychological thing. So anyway, just a few things to think about there. And the last thing, the third thing I want to talk to you about today is the idea of filming stuff, right? Taking out your phone, taking out your video camera, and filming whatever you got going on. This is something that Jamie Stegmaier, Rob W., Matt Leacock, several of the titans of game design in the industry today have talked about they, that they do, is they film their playtests. They you know, have people set up cameras and they just kind of film the game as it's going on, and it's a really great thing to kind of go back and watch and, and understand how people are playing the game, understand what rules they're getting wrong, understand what parts of your game kind of drag on that need to be streamlined a little bit, what part of your game, you know, which parts of your game really need to be uh, focused on more and the certain parts that they're like really excited they're really tense really you know action-packed all these things how can you okay you see that in the film it's like okay we need to add more of these moments in there you can just see a lot of really cool stuff there was a a, a sign hanging up in the wall on the wall in the film room when i was playing football in college and the, the sign said you are what you put on tape right it's this idea that it doesn't matter who you think you are or what espn thinks you are or what your mama and your dog think you are the film does not lie the tape does not lie and so when you film stuff you can go back and you can see reality, not what you think happened, not what you want to believe happened, but you can see what actually happened, which is really good in sports. You can kind of go back and see what you messed up on, how you, you know, did you miss a block, you missed a tackle, you, oh, you ran the wrong route, that kind of thing. But in game design, you can see, you know, oh, okay, players here get really bored. And so we need to figure out how to take this whole phase out of the game because it's just slowing things down. Like you can see that in real time, and you don't have to wonder, and you don't have to rely on playtesters kind of thinking back over the game and telling you, that's another thing. You know, a lot of times playtesters, they don't do a good job of remembering what happened over the last hour, hour and a half, two hours, however long your game is. They don't do necessarily a good job of remembering things as they really happened, right? A lot of times we'll kind of go back and create a narrative that we think happened, you know, the way we think things played out, but it might not necessarily be the truth or even close to the truth. It also might be influenced by the, you know, did we win or lose? Because if I won, I kind of think back through maybe a little more positively than if I lost. And so you can kind of get some bias and some things that get altered based on, you know, the way people remember things. 
But if you film stuff, that does not lie. You can go back and you can kind of rewind and watch it again, and rewind and watch again, and watch you know watch player A this time and rewind and watch player B this time, and you can kind of uh, get a really good understanding of what actually was going on. And you, you can see players arguing over certain rules, right? And did they interpret them wrong the wrong way? Did they did they go through the setup and, and screw something up? Did they go from A to C and, and skip over B and forget about it? You know those kinds of things you can see on the tape, and it's not going to lie to you. Another good way to use filaments is actually something I did with the uh, the Board Game Design Lab Design Challenge when I was uh, doing the final round at Dice Tower Con a few weeks ago, is that I filmed all the feedback. And so, you know, I would have judges come in, and we'd play the game, and, and they would you know, get finished, and we would talk about it just for a minute, and I would say, okay, cool, I'm going to turn the camera on. And when I turned the camera just on my phone on, they would talk through what they thought about the game, things that they liked, things that they thought needed to be improved, you know, questions that they had, ideas that they had, things that they saw or maybe thought needed to be changed. But all this stuff was right there on film, and then I just downloaded the files to uh, up on uh, Google Drive, and then I sent every designer a link. And say, hey, here are the videos of feedback for your game. And they got to just see the, the files, right? Which is a great, great way to do it. Uh, one, I'm not a huge fan of forms. Like people sitting down and, and kind of writing down their ideas and, and numbering things. Like those, those can be okay. Those can be good. They have a, a place, I believe. But in general, if you can get people talking about things, right? Especially on film and, you know, on camera where they feel a little more comfortable because, like, the designer of these games wasn't there. So it's not like that, per, you know, they're going to hurt that person's feelings. No, they can just talk right to the camera. And it's a little bit uh, easier than, than having to talk to the person that you're you know, criticizing or critiquing and that kind of thing. And so that's, that's a really good way to do it. And people tend to talk a lot more than they're willing to write, right? And if they have like a little paragraph box, you know, they might write a sentence or two. But if you get them talking, they'll, they'll talk for a while without even really realizing how much they're talking. It, it can be really uh, useful to get more information out of people than just a, a typical feedback form. So just something to think about when you're, when you're doing feedback is, you know, when you kind of have that little moment after the game of, of people saying, oh, yeah, I like this, or, you know, I, I feel like I didn't have enough money during the game, I feel like I, my actions were too limited, whatever, film it, get it on camera. That way you can go back and watch it again. And because and, a lot of times it's easy to forget stuff, and it's hard to write out the notes. You know, people are talking a lot. It's hard to write down everything that they're saying sometimes. And so if you have it on film, well, you've got it saved. It makes it a lot easier. And another really good way to use film and to use, you know, filming things is for your pitch. If you're getting ready to pitch a game to a publisher, maybe at a convention, maybe on Skype, tabletop, tabletop simulator, something like that, film yourself. Like, come up with a little bit of a script, right, kind of what you're going to say, your 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 big your major points, the, the key facts about the game, you know, your, your hook, that kind of stuff, and film it, right? Film yourself saying it. Film yourself going through the motions of, of talking about it, moving things around, and playing certain cards and doing different things. Film that and go back and watch it and see the places that you need to improve. You know, did you say um 47 times? Because that gets annoying, and you know, you want to take that out of, of your vocabulary. Don't say um all the time. Did you uh, did you scratch your nose a lot without realizing it? Did you do all these things subconsciously? Because you know, when we're when we're speaking, especially when we're nervous, we tend to do a lot of stuff subconsciously. You know, when I uh, when I'm teaching. Uh, English, we do a lot of presentations, and one of the things that I'll I'll talk to students about is is dancing. It's how when it, not not literally dance, but like it seems like you're dancing because when you're nervous, that energy has to get out, and a lot of times it gets out by us shifting our weight around, and we'll kind of take two steps forward and two steps back, side take a step to the side, side side, and you're almost dancing up there with no music, and it's kind of funny, and we don't even realize we're doing it. It's just because that nervous energy has to go somewhere, and it 
tends to go places that we don't even realize. And when you film yourself, you can see those things. You can see all those places that that energy is going, and hopefully you can kind of get rid of it. You can kind of uh, take control of your body, you can take, take control of your ums, take control of your dancing, and realize and be a little bit more aware of what you do with your energy, with, with your nervous energy, and, and channel it into doing other things and using it in other ways. You can also time your pitches. Like so if you've filmed it, then you know how long it, it takes. Now if you if you sit down and you, you film yourself and you do the pitch and it lasts seven minutes, like, oh, okay. Well maybe you want to get that down to five. So what do you need to say? How can you be a little bit more concise? What do you need to cut out? What do you need to streamline? What do you need to do here, there or or, or wherever to make this thing shorter and so you, you kinda get to the point faster. You get to the hook faster. You take away things that aren't really that important, that aren't really the focus of what you're trying to say. You can see that and especially if you film it, you'll know exactly how long your pitch takes which can make it a whole lot better when you when you realize that and the last way I want to talk about using filming today and, and kind of filming yourself is actually an idea uh, really really good advice I got from Daniel Zayas the other day at Dice Tower Con we were talking about rule books and how to make a good rule book and one thing he said was what you need to do is film yourself explaining the game to people who have never played before. So find some folks, you know, maybe your your gaming group, maybe uh, a relative, maybe your dog, I don't know, somebody that has no idea how to play the game and film yourself explaining the game from setup all the way to, you know, turn one, here's how you do this, here's how you do that, this is how this mechanism work works. Like explain every aspect of the game, film it, and then when you go to write your rule book, just transcribe what you said to explain it, right? You, you literally have an, a rules explanation and just turn that into written words, right? Uh, now, obviously, you need to add graphics and images and you know, examples and stuff like that. But it will give you a really good idea of what all needs to go into the rule book because you've already had to explain it in real life. You already know what people in the real world need to understand to be able to play the game. Because a lot of times you get so close to the game that you forget, you know, all the different things that you really need to talk about. Because you know, you you've, you know these things by the back of your hand. You know every mechanism. You know every concept. Every strategy. You know all these things because it lives in your brain. It's come out of your brain. And so, unless you're like explaining it to people who have never done it before, they don't know anything about it. A lot of times it's easy to forget all the different nuance and all the different things that need to be explained. And so, if you film the explanation, you'll you'll have it right there in video what all needs to be said, what questions get asked from the people you're explaining you know, the game to, what things need to be clarified, what, what you need to say in a little bit different way. Maybe you need to put step one, actually needs to be step three, and you need to kind of switch some stuff around. You'll see all that on the tape. So anyway, those are just a handful of ways you can use video, use filming, to make your games better, to do different things, uh, to, to become a better game designer that, who makes better games. So anyway, I really appreciate you tuning in to BGDL Plus. I hope this has been a, a helpful use of your time. Hopefully it's helping you uh, make some great games that people love. Anyway, I hope you're having a good one, and good luck with everything you got going on right now. Thanks for listening. This podcast is made possible by members of BGDL Plus. To find out more and to gain access to all of the awesome exclusive content, go to boardgamedesignlab.com plus. And until next time, keep trying new ideas, keep playtesting, and keep striving to become the best designer you can be. Did I mention keep playtesting? <laughs>